All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're about to open your word. We believe your word. We believe you. And we want to see Jesus in a unique and powerful way. We want him to truly be Lord of our lives and all that that involves and all that that entails. So help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our Bible study today is found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we are studying an appeal from Jesus. It is a powerful appeal. It is words with tears. It is a message of emotion and love and care. It is a warning, a real warning, and it's found in verses 21 through 23, the words of our Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is speaking from his heart. He's making a tremendous appeal at the close of his longest recorded message in Scripture. He says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. When someone uses that expression, Lord, Lord, and it's only used a few times in Scripture, here, a verse in Luke, which we'll read in a minute, and then when Jesus is telling the parable of the ten virgins and the five who did not have oil, when they go to the door, they cry out, Lord, Lord. It is uh, declaring, you are the Messiah. You are God's Son. You are God in the flesh. The people that say, Lord, Lord, are putting Jesus in a very, very high place. There's no disrespect. There's no disregard. They believe him to be Lord of the universe, but unfortunately, he is not Lord of their lives. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus here is saying they're not going to heaven because they don't do the will of God the Father. They're all talk. They're no walk. We come to verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
Now, I don't know if it strikes you or not, but Jesus says, many, many will say to me in that day. I think this would be a whole lot nicer if he said few. There'll be a few, and this is what they'll say. But he doesn't say a few. He says this is going to be a big problem. Many will say to me in that day. Now notice, he says they'll say to me. Jesus is declaring in his day, in the presence of the people there, that he is indeed the judge. He will be there and people, all people will answer to him. This is an amazing thing that Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount. I am your judge, he's saying. I know what's coming down. I'm trying to prepare you for a reality. Unfortunately, many are going to say to me in that day, and he lists what they're going to say. They're going to say, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did many wonders in your name. Now, Jesus doesn't deny that it happened. What he denies is it was not from him. They used his name, but he wasn't involved in it. So some have pondered, well, how can that be? Well, in the supernatural realm, the devil is very deceptive. He can do things that look like it's coming from heaven. And uh, it may be that Jesus is using a bit of hyperbole as well. When he describes people that are prophesying and casting out demons and doing many wonders, we would consider that kind of the apex of Christian activity. That would be a special person that could do things like that. They would be specially anointed by God to do things like that. So if people who can do things like that are not going to be in heaven, then certainly people who do lesser things, claiming they're doing them in the name of the Lord, would not be there either. And so this could be a reflection upon anyone who is doing service for the Lord, but they're not serving the Lord. It could involve the local church. It could involve being employed by the church. It could involve everything associated with the church. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says, I will declare to you, I never knew you. And you may be wondering, well, how can that be? How can God, who knows everything, not know them? And what he's saying here is he is speaking of a faith-saving relationship with him. They don't have it. And he says, depart from me. They're cast out of his presence for all eternity. And who are they? They're those who practice lawlessness. In the King James Version, it says iniquity. It can be interpreted wickedness, illegalities. 
transgression of the law, unrighteousness. The Revised Standard Version says, depart from me, you evildoers. Same thing the NIV says. The Amplified Version says, depart from me, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. The Living New Testament says, you have never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. In Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, he records it just a little differently. Look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Same message given in just a few different words. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Words of Jesus. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Calling Jesus Lord, Lord is a declaration that he is who he says he is. And he says, why, why would you say that and yet not let him be Lord of your life? Not doing the things he says. Why would you do that? So when we go back to Matthew 7, 21 through 23, we read again, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What do we conclude? Well, the first thing that comes to our mind is that this is a judgment. Claiming to have Jesus as our Lord is not enough. Calling him the proper names is not enough. Being involved in church is not enough. There is something beyond that. The evidence that Jesus is Lord of our lives will be demonstrated by doing God's will. Now, I want to say something that is extremely important to those of you who are Seventh-day Adventists. If you have been a Seventh-day Adventist for any length of time, you have heard sermons on this passage and sermons to prove that the importance of keeping the Ten Commandments and that people who claim to be Christians but don't keep the Ten Commandments, this is who is being re referred to here. And so we kind of look for who those people are. It's them, it's them, it's them. No, stop looking away and start looking in. Is it me? This applies to us as well. Because the Lord has spoken in a number of occasions what his expectations are. And let me ask you, what is God's will? What has he said to do? Now, if I go to 
passage after passage telling you what God says to do, and you do those, but you don't do what I'm going to teach you today, you'll be lost. You will be lost. You'll be lost seeking to obey the Lord because He is not your Lord. And so that's the first thing that must be settled. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to read verse 10 along with it so that you get the context. Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So in the context of the second coming of the Lord, Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is coming, as some count slackness, but he is patient toward us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The number one thing we must learn about God's will, he is not willing that any of us should perish. What does that mean? It means we're in trouble. And he's provided a way to get us out of trouble. Humanity is not at peace with God. And God in his patience is not willing that any should perish. That's why this thing keeps going on and on and on. But here's the point. It is God's will that all should come to repentance. Without repentance, we are not in God's will. Well, what does repentance mean? <clears throat> Literally means a reversal. It means a change of direction. It is a sorrow for sin in our lives. It is a sorrow for sin in our lives. This is a very personal understanding of who I am and how I failed, and it creates, through the Holy Spirit working in us, a sorrow for sins. And Jesus tells us the solution once we have a sorrow for sin in our lives. We go to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is God's will that all would be saved. It is God's will that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that all of humanity would be born again. The birth we had to begin with is inadequate. And any service to God rendered in that birth is meaningless. Our words will mean nothing. 
Our songs will mean nothing. Our poetry will mean nothing. Our service is nothing. It is all from the lip and nothing from the heart. We must be born again. Jesus says you can't even see the kingdom of God. Now, important note here. In Matthew 7, the people who are lost were very active in church things, but they were not repentant. They were not born again. Any obedience to God's commands, doctrines, practices, or morality without being repentant and without being born again is the same as saying, Lord, Lord, did we not in your name do all these things? Outside of a faith-saving relationship with Jesus, we have nothing to offer God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read what happens when we are born again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we are born again, that's a description of us. We are no longer controlled by a sinful nature. We are now battling that sinful nature by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've become new. New motives, new goals, new perspectives. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. And we walk humbly with Him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it's described this way, and He, that's the Father, made Him, the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In this beautiful experience of the gospel, Jesus takes our sins upon Himself and gives us His righteousness instead. So, we repent, we're born again, all things become new, and Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. That is the gospel. Look at Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I want you to read these off the screen with me. Let's read them out loud. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In the judgment, the lost will declare all they've done for God. Every great thing they've done, declaring they did it in Jesus' name. 
In the judgment, the saved will declare all that Jesus has done for them. They will say, Lord, Lord, you prophesied to me in your name. Lord, Lord, you cast out demons in your name. Lord, Lord, you've done many wonders for me and to me in your name. The great difference is repentance, being born again, all things being new, and Jesus becoming sin for us. So I have a question for you, and that is this. Does that describe your experience in the Lord? Maybe you just go to church. I understand there are people that go to church because it's okay. There's social experience involved. There's a certain degree of beauty associated with Jesus and artwork and architecture, all stuff like that. And people, people come for many, many reasons. But I want you to hear the love in Jesus' voice the sadness and the sorrow when he says, many in that day will say to me, and they'll give their list of what they've done. But Lord, I did this for you, and I did that for you, and, and um, I was whatever in the church, and I did whatever. Jesus will say, but I never knew you in a faith-saving relationship. All that you did, you were doing for yourself. You claimed to be doing it for me, but you did it for yourself. And Jesus' appeal today is, are, are we right with God? Is he truly our savior? Have we been sorrowful for our sin? Have we asked him to convert us to where we're born again. Have we experienced all things becoming new? And is his righteousness our righteousness? Is your claim towards heaven what you're doing for him or what he has already done for you? Is there anyone here who would like to say, I want you to be my Lord I want you to be my savior. I want you to dwell in my heart through the Holy Spirit. If you want to say that to God, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful appeal from Jesus. We've heard it, Lord. We get it. And we truly want him to save us, and in his name we pray.